Tuesday morning this past week, there were almost 40 women in our store and it's it's community um, it's having a I think it's a sense of accomplishment I think for some it is absolutely their uh, their stress reliever welcome to zestful aging where I talk with fascinating talented and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. Last week, we spoke with Margaret Zhao, who uh, grew up in China during the Cultural Revolution, and who's wrote a beautiful book called Really Enough. And then next week, we're going to be speaking with Marianne Suko, who is a nurse and an author. She's part of the collaboration of All's Authors. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. For the past 16 years, Kathy Elkins and her husband Steve have been the second generation owner of Webbs, America's yarn store. It's the largest independent yarn store in the United States and possibly the world. Last year, they acquired the brand Taki Stacy Charles along with String Yarns, which is a luxury yarn retail located on Manhattan's Upper East Side. She's a passionate, Boston sports fan, but her greatest joy is cheering for her two sons from the sidelines. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I've i been to Webbs, and I don't know if we can really put into words the experience for people who are yarn people. It is like, the closest thing I can describe it uh, to people is like the Na- the Museum of Nas- Natural History. I mean, it's like awe-inspiring. <laughs> and when I was there last... I hear, I heard gasps when people came in, and I'm just wondering, is that a typical response for people who have come to your store for the first time? It, it is. Um, it's, it's really fun. My office faces out to our parking lot, and it just gives me such joy when I see um, a customer or even better, a group of customers who have traveled together. Um, standing outside, taking selfies in front of our awning. Aww. And then they come into the store and they're they're giddy with excitement. And <laughs> the first time we took our kids many moons ago to Disney um, down in Orlando, there's, there's places where you get these perfect pictures. It's called the, well, there's two things. There's those Kodak picture moments, but then also when you're on the rides, you know, they'll take your flash at this oh, yes. point where you're like, ah! Screaming, yeah. And we've and my husband and I have always joked that we should do that as people enter the oh, from the store to the gosh. where to the warehouse and have like a little picture thing like yeah. to capture the face. Oh yeah. I'm sure I was squealing. Um and there was a lot of pictures taken and I yeah, what's the most unusual response you've had when people enter the store? Um, for me, are you new? Am is I this, is this store new? Did you ah. just open? And, ah. and 
And on days when I'm feeling really good about things, I'm like, wow, there's still so much opportunity out there. This is tremendous. You know, I got to roll up my sleeves and, you know, get, get our name out there even more. And then there are other days where it's like, are you kidding me? And I just want to, I I walk back into the office and I'm like, honey, I think it's time to fire me because I'm obviously not doing my job effectively. (laughs) You're jaded. And you've been doing this for 16 years. Tell me how you came to be the co-owner of of the largest yarn store. Sure. My mother-in-law founded our company back in 1974. She had a partner at the time, um, and it started um, in the basement of the house where my husband grew up, and my my in-laws still live in the same home. Um, And she she and her partner started teaching weaving. Um, It was pretty quick for the partner to say, I don't want to do this as a business. I just want to be a weaver. So she bowed out relatively early on, and my mother-in-law kind of kept plodding along. Um, She just wanted to be able to feed her own yarn habit, um, (laughs) honestly. Um, And eventually my my husband and his brother and my father-in-law wanted the basement back. So they sort of pushed my mother-in-law out a little bit, and she went and opened a store in Amherst, Massachusetts, um, below ground level, below street level, 800 square feet, super tiny. Mm. Um, But as you know, the area that we are here in Western Mass, um, it's a very um, academic area. We have five major universities, colleges and universities in the area, including the University of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Um, And... As we moved into the 80s, hand knitting became extraordinarily popular, particularly particularly knitting yoke sweaters, the Fair Isle, Icelandic, mm-hmm. which has also come back, had a huge resurgence over the last 18 to 24 months. So she moved into hand knitting. Um, she and my father-in-law um, started doing a lot of mill ends when, when there was a textile industry here in the U.S. They would go to the south. And as my father-in-law tells the story, he would look, they would go into town, find the water tower, and inevitably there was a textile mill not far from there. Oh, fascinating. And this was way before technology existed. So he could go to a mill that might be making sweaters for Ralph Lauren, um, but they, you know things weren't all calibrated. It wasn't computerized. So they might have 100 pounds of navy blue yarn left over, mm-hmm. 42 pounds of red, 12 pounds of green. He would make mm-hmm. a deal bring that back. And that was sort of how he started sourcing yarn to a certain extent. So millens were a very big part of the business. And in the mid 80s, my father-in-law actually left his tenured position as a professor in the business school at UMass mm-hmm. and joined joined my mother-in-law in the business. Um, and it just sort of rolled from there. We, because we have a very transient population here with, with the, the students, um, we'd get customers who were here for, you know, four years undergrad or two years as graduate stool, students, whatever the case may be. And they, But they wanted to keep buying from us, so we started mail order. So as the world, the, the, the Internet became, came to life later um, in the company's history, it was a very easy transition from us. You were ahead us. of your, you were ahead of your time. Uh, where, <laughs> where are we in the kind of in the in the culture of knitting right now? I remember when Stitch and Bitch came out and that was like a really big deal and some novels came out that were uh, I think widely read. Where are we now? I my sense is that people are so busy they can't even make themselves a warm meal half the time. You know, it's a real the technology that has afforded us um, a lot of the success on the internet has also been a detriment at the same time. Um, Netflix is great because people can knit, 
but holding your phone and keeping your face in buried in your phone does not allow you to knit because mm. you're holding your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is definitely something that has been a challenge for us. And, um, you know, I think f- for our success, we need other smaller local yarn stores to also do a very good job because we may have a customer out in Missouri. I always have my imaginary customer, Susie in Missouri. <laughs> Susie in Missouri may order from us from time to time, but she also has an LYS, a local yarn store that she can go and have her greater community, you know, Mm -hmm. take a class, do a drop-in. And if that store isn't making it compelling for Susie to come back in, Susie might start to quilt or glass blow or do other things. So, you know, it's really important. And and I think the average local yarn store, you know, it's hard. Most of them are one or two people operations, which is hard. Um, It's hard to be capitalized. It's hard to do all of the things that I have. A t- I have someone who just does social media for me. Mm-hmm. I have someone who just does email marketing for me. And for the average owner, it's really hard to do all of those things, do them well, and um, and still run a really good business. Mm-hmm. So it's you know I I don't envy the smaller stores. It is it's really hard, and it's, it's and I I applaud those who continue to have success um, because it, it it all all boats you know. All of us rise together. I see. You know, it's interesting. I'm in upstate New York, and in the area, we've had we have three uh, local yarn stores about half an hour um, uh, from us, and two of them have closed. And what I've, I've talked to the owner of Yarn Cupboard, and what she said is a lot of it depends on the weather. Um, and it's very temperamental. So, you know, in upstate New York, if it gets at all, you know, above freezing and there's not a blizzard, people are outside. Um, and so if it's milder, a lot of it is, is out of your control. There are. And, um, you know, for us, it's <laughs> this past week was great because a year ago we had a snow day and we're closed. So when we lapped that, it, it you know, makes the numbers look really great. <laughs> Or if we have a great day where we sell a loom, Steve will be all excited. Oh, we sold a computer loom today, which is a very huge purchase in our store. Mm-hmm. And I just look at him. I'm like, yeah, but honey, we're going to have to lap that a year from now. So just just remember that because a year from now, you're going to be sad. <laughs> it's a false bar that you're setting. Yeah. Um, what do you think is so special about knitting because I think the the word is out that you can go to Marshall's and buy a hand knit sweater for a portion of what you can knit it for Um, and I I think it's sort of hard to put into words for people who don't love knitting what's the point I think there's a couple of points one I think it's about creating making and creating and it's interesting because our customers who are knitters and weavers for that matter, but more so on the knitter side, knitting isn't the only thing they do. They're creative by nature. Mm. Um, some more so than others. But then I think it comes back to the community. We we do a drop-in, a free drop-in where people can come and knit together. We have someone moderated to help with problems or issues. It's not a class. It's just a, I'm not reading this pattern right or whatever. But on Tuesday morning, uh, Tuesday morning this past week, there were almost 40 women Wow! in our store. And it's it's community. Um, it's having, a, I think it's a sense of accomplishment. I think for some, it is absolutely their, um, uh, 
They're stress reliever. Um, I have a very good knitter uh, at our store down in, in Manhattan. Um, she's head of uh, she's the head nurse in the trauma center at one of the New York City hospitals, and she she told me point blank, she's like, I need knitting in mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's different motivations for different people, um, but I, I there's a lot of health benefits that I don't think is necessarily the focus for most knitters. Um, but there's definitely something to be said about the parts of the brain that are being used when you're knitting along, no matter if you're just doing a very simple pattern or something more complex that I don't think the average knitter gets in their day-to-day job per se. Mm, mm -hmm. And then I think one of the best quotes I heard from a customer, and this was during, um, the recession, um, uh, a few years back and she came in and said, you know, if I have to tighten my belt and I can't go out to dinner or I can't go out with to a movie or grab a drink with a girlfriend and I have to, you know, really kind of buckle down and stay at home more. She said, if I don't have yarn to knit, I'm going to kill my husband. <laughs> and I thought that kind of summarized it. What I think a lot of our customers were thinking, but never wanted to actually say it. What's that expression about the devil's hands or something? Yes, yeah, something you know what I that. mean. Yes. Oh, that's really funny. Um, it's it's interesting that you say that because I find if I'm agitated or worried about something, it's it, I got to be knitting, and there is this sort of. Um, Uh, I'm sure you could articulate it better, but there's sort of a soothing, repetitive quality about it. And if you're knitting with something really delicious, you know, like Tosh or something, you know, you, you can just, there's something, there's tactile and there is, it's almost like rocking in a rocking chair, I find. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And I think, I think it's not only the motion, I think of course, depending on what type of needles you're using, I think it's the sound as well. Ah, yes, yes. Hi, Zestful Agers. I'll be attending the International Federation of Aging's 15th Global Conference on Aging in November of 2020. And if you're interested in improving your understanding of age-friendly environments, debating solutions to address inequalities, confronting the reality of ageism and delving into what it means to enable the functional ability of an older person, head over to ifa2020.org to find out more. There's an early bird special on until the end of the year, so take advantage and join me in Niagara Falls. I'll see you there. So tell me about acquiring. Now you're, you know, you're going from Northampton, which is, if people haven't been there, it's like a little Ithaca, New York. It's very progressive, you know, 10 cafes on every block, artisan goat cheese and, you know, just a beautiful place. And, And then you're you're um you've just acquired string on the upper you know east side of manhattan which is basically where the celebrities live so talk to me about those customers and how you kind of toggle back and forth to who's buying yarn from you yeah it's it's interesting um back in april we acquired the wholesale brand taki stacy charles and stacy charles who's an actual person he had purchased string from the original owner when she decided to retire because he felt that store had a reason to be on the Upper East Side. Um, so when we made the acquisition on the wholesale piece, 
the store came along with it. And it was sort of the hidden gem in the deal, if you will. Um, it is the complete opposite of webs in mm. every way, shape, and form. <laughs> um, it's tiny. It's about a thousand square feet. Mm. Um, it is sells more cashmere per customer than oh. I can even wrap my head around. Oh, goodness. A, a $600 baby blanket is just, it doesn't even, it doesn't blink an eye oh, with goodness. this customer base. They have, you know, their, their level of disposable income is, um, is incredible. Um, but their dedication to the craft is no different which is really, you know, there's there's a thesis. So, someone going for their PhD oh, who's a knitter, there's a God. thesis in all of this. And it's not my thesis to write, <laughs> but there is. it's very fascinating to me to watch. And it and it is. It, what's been exciting for me is that it allows me to think about retail and how I'm marketing and um, uh, talking to my customer base in a completely different way than I approach it at Webs. Um, so that's been really exciting. I'm from the Boston area originally. I've been here in Western Mass and prior to that, rural Connecticut for the better part of the last 20 years. And I'll admit, I've gotten a little soft. I don't have traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, people are genuinely very nice. If you walk, step into a crosswalk in Northampton, yeah. you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to stop. <laughs> We were in New York last week for an event, and my my web store manager was there, and she and I went out to grab a sandwich, and she did the Northampton step out into the crosswalk, oh. and I literally had to yank her back and oh. and yell because oh. she would have gotten hit. Oh goodness! I'm like Bonnie, you can't do that here in New York City. <laughs> what a what a cultural shift! I'm thinking about um, for the people who haven't been to your your store. Uh, I'm thinking about is it Grandpa's Garage? What is it? What do you call it? Yeah, Grandpa's? Gran yeah, Grandpa's Garage sale started when my kids were when we first took over, and it's sort of the last of the of a yarn line that we have. And right now, if you walk, it's in the 800 aisle, the last aisle of our warehouse shoppable warehouse. And right now it's full of oranges and browns and greens that of mm. you know the the last of a yarn that was uh, discontinued or closed out, and it was just a fun way to you know it's we're a family business true and true no you know from the beginning to even as big as we are today you know the family aspect is still really important with us um, both from how we market ourselves but how we operate internally with mm -hmm. our team. And Grandpa's Garage Sale is a picture of my father-in-law and my kids when they were so adorable, cute, and young, and still here at home. Um, and we just felt like that had a, it, it just fit with who we are as business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we get, to, and we get to have some fun with it instead of it just being like, you know, get the last bits and pieces. Yeah, we can, we can 40 have 40% off. Yeah, oh. it, yeah, instead of it just being, you know, the same old, same old, we can have some fun with it. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, was a, a telephone company warehouse, correct? So you, you're going in and it feels, I mean, it's beautifully laid out. There's great selection, but it feels like, you know, a warehouse. And then I'm thinking of string, which is tiny and all about cashmere. Yeah, it's interesting because the warehouse was a telephone company building. You can still see the yellow lines on the floor where the trucks would park. And if you stop and look, the floor grades ever so slightly into the middle because when they'd wash the trucks, the water would flow into oh. a drainage system that mm -hmm. we've since filled in. And it's, you know, it's nothing that's not safe to walk on, but it's sure. very, it's very, very gradual. Um, and 
uh, a few years in, we upgraded the lighting in the warehouse, and our customers were not happy about that. They're like, it feels too fancy out here now. Oh. <laughs> we're like, well, you don't need miner's hat. Any, <laughs> like, you can actually see the colors now. We thought we were helping. That is hysterical yeah yeah, yeah i'm right i'm right into the grandpa's where's where's you walk where's you walk into string and it's on the second floor it overlooks lexington avenue oh, which is you know God. the hub of the upper east side the oh. the table where they do their drop-in in classes has a it's marble and has a beautiful chandelier over it oh my god all of the fixtures are it. yeah it's white with loose it's beautiful the store it is must be. it's really really beautiful it must be yeah it'd be fun to do a a coffee table book on yarn stores in the u.s because um, yeah, there's some great ones and you know there's some great yarn store owners regardless of the size of their space that have mm. done um, there's a beautiful store in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's a gorgeous store um, down in Virginia, another one down in Atlanta, where the owners have really, you know, put their stamp and personality mm. on those stores. And they're they're just delightful. Mm, how That sounds wonderful. So one of the things that we've talked about on, on this podcast is women doing really interesting things, things they love to do, putting their heart in it, putting their talents and gifts. And you also uh, are launching your boys. Um, how, how do you navigate all of your roles? Because you've got a lot of roles. You've got a lot of things going on. I, you know, it's interesting. I do have a lot of roles and I feel, you know, I have one, my oldest son is uh, a freshman in college, so he's away now. And our younger one um, is away at high school. And I feel like I'm almost busier now than I was when they were here. And I think about that a lot. I, I walk every afternoon or try to walk every afternoon. Um, and that's something I've been contemplating a lot. And I don't necessarily think it's that I'm more busy. I've just replaced some of the activities and responsibilities that I had when the boys were here at home with other things that had to take a back burner. Um, and it's an it's an interesting shift. Both of my kids are athletes, so you know every weekend we're traveling um, to where my older son is a runner. So right now we're in indoor track season, so we travel every Saturday to see him run wherever he is because it's mostly here in New England. Uh -huh. um, our younger son is a golfer, so um, there's not much going on with him right now. But mm -hmm. once the spring and summer hits, um, we try and be as supportive as we can. But you know, it's just, um, you know, I hate the term work-life balance. I, I don't, I don't look at it that way only because I love what I do. Um, but as, as the years progress, I'm trying to do, I guess, a balance of what I love work-wise, but what I love personally as well. I mean, I've had the best of both worlds running my own business. It's 24 seven. It never mm -hmm. stops for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. But when my children had a play at 9 a.m. in the morning yeah. or a sporting event at three in the afternoon or a, you know, presentation of something in the library at one in the afternoon when they were younger, I could manipulate my schedule and never mm -hmm. missed anything, anything. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that was a huge gift. A it was a huge gift that I didn't realize I was going to get when we made the decision to... Um, take over the business from my in-laws 16 years ago. 
What, how has it been for you launching your boys? That's uh, some, you know, you're right in the same phase of life that many of our listeners are in. Can you talk a little bit about that process for you? It's still a little bit new. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the greatest career I've ever had is being their mom, um, by far. It, it's it's the, their, the legacy I want to leave behind. There's certainly a business piece I want to leave behind, but launching my two boys to be successful in whatever definition that is for them, productive members of society is, is the best thing I can do in my lifetime. And I have glimmers that the older one, I think I'm going to be okay on. And I, I feel that way with my younger one too, but I've seen my older son, who's a freshman at college, really coming into his own these past few months. And mm. it's, 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 really rewarding. We're a very close family. I'm very fortunate. My boys are very communicative and I hear from them every day. They both chose to go to boarding school, which was not high on my list. Mm -hmm. So they have been out of the house since they were 14. Mm -hmm. And that has been way harder on me and for my husband in particular um, than for them. I think it's also part of the reason my older son is having such great success at college um, because he just knows what he's doing. He's got it together. He knows what he has to do to get the work done. He knows how to. He's, um, they're both very independent, relatively street savvy. And I think them pushing to do that and us supporting that was for, the, for who they are as kids human beings as as teenagers was a really good decision as hard as it was for my husband and I to do that. Mm -hmm. Were you able to talk to other people at work and your friends about launching your kids and what that was like? Yeah, I have. It's interesting. I have a a few folks who work for us who have um, kids in around the same age. um, And certainly I have a network of friends from when my kids were growing up, some of which stayed those kids stayed local. Others went off to um, boarding schools as well. And, you know, everybody has a different approach. And, you know, I've been very comfortable with how we have addressed it. And, you know, I made it clear to my kids when they left that, you know, just because they were gone didn't mean we weren't still a family unit. And, you know, the communication started from day one. And I've talked to some friends and they're like, yeah, you know, my son's been gone or my daughter's been gone for a month. And I've heard from them once. I hear from my, I hear from my kids every single day. Wow. Every day. Sometimes. Is that an expectation? I mean, how how does that work, especially with boys? I also have a college-age son, and, you know, there's often a balance. Like, I don't want to bug them, but I need to know if they turned in this big project on time. There's always this dance. But it sounds like, for you, it's just much more of a natural back and forth. It is, and I, 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 I can't explain what it is that we did as a family, as parents, other than I kind of go back and think about the fact that I was so flexible with my work schedule and could be there. I, you know, I did afternoon pickup from school when they were here locally every day until they left. Every single day I was able to pick my kids up from school unless I was traveling. And I had another family who did the morning drop off. And, you know, so we had this, this wonderful, um, uh, 
uh, ability to be there for our kids um, in a way that if I had a corporate job, which is the path I was going down prior to having kids and then taking over webs, that I wouldn't have ha- I wouldn't have had that flexibility. I would have been able to get there for the big things and maybe some smaller mm-hmm. things, but not to the extent that I was able to do. I wouldn't have been able to do school pickup every afternoon. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's it's just who who we are as a family. And you know, I heard from my younger son yesterday. He called me twice yesterday. Just to, I'm, I'm not sure why. And I just said, hey, is there in, we were talking about anything in particular, little bits and pieces. But just checking. Yeah, but the second time I said, you know, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. I said, you sure? He's like, yeah. He's like, I, I just wanted to talk to you. And I said, okay. Oh, wow. That's like a mother's dream. I'm like, so, know? all right. And, you know, and then there'll be other times where the, you know, I might not hear from them all day, but there's a text before bedtime. Hey, Do you have a good day? Yep, everything's fine. Mm. Or I can't really chat. I've got a ton of work, but I love you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's as small as that, and sometimes it's two calls in a day. So, yeah, sounds like you've really created this very tight knit, these tight knit relationships with your kids, and um, it's it's always going to be that way and don't get me wrong we drive them crazy at times too and they let us know that (laughs) let me just be clear this is we're not living the waltons over here by any stretch of the imagination but um no i'm i'm fortunate because uh you know when you send your kids off they're like oh send that set that time like sunday evening to have that one time a week to talk and i'm like Mm. that's not gonna work for me Mm -mm. and it didn't work for them either which was great Mm -hmm. that sounds wonderful well, so well, you've just recently acquired, you know, you're, you're building up the company. Is there anything in the future that you're looking forward to in terms of personal and or webs related? You know, I think this last year with the acquisitions um, was a really exciting time, but it was also a really trying time for our internal team. It was a lot for them to take on, and although we added a couple of new positions, um, it was it was a very stressful twelve to sixteen months um, for me in particular. When we brought Taki, Stacy, Charles, and String into the loop, I really um, spent a lot of time focused on um, learning learning what it's like to run a wholesale business versus a retail business, and learning what it's like to run a very high end luxury store versus what Webs is and um, and running, uh, being successful in a small space versus a very big space. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's now an opportunity for me going forward into 2019 to really focus on the aspects of the business that are most intriguing to me. I spent a lot of time devil in the details last year, which was absolutely necessary. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in a position to start doing what I'm doing now had I not gone through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, but the acquisition, I mean, last summer I was, you know, 14, 16 hour days mm-hmm. all, all the time. It was, um, it was uh, really um, an exhausting process, but mm-hmm. a very necessary process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a ton. I stretched myself in ways that I hadn't really stretched myself in a while. Is this, um, self, is this self-taught then, Kathy? Or are you taking courses or being, um, you know, mentored somehow? 
Um, it's no courses. There's no time for that. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but you know, fortunately, Stacy Charles stayed on, and he he has been in the fiber business his entire life. His family has roots in it, um, so he has been um, a, a mentor for sure. I've applied things that I've learned over the course of my career at Webs and my um, marketing career prior to, to webs, um, to a lot of things. And there's, there's been some, some speed bumps along the way. I, I can't, uh, I can't lie about that, but, um, you know, it's just trying to take best practices. I, I, um, I spend a lot of time looking at other, at least from a retail standpoint, other retail businesses. I try and read a lot, um, on the business side of things, um, and just try and, and make best, best practices happen and apply them in a way that makes sense for our company and our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, it's really about, f- again, focusing on the, the aspects that are interesting to me and areas that need some attention. Um, and at the same time, allowing myself to make sure I am getting the time and space that I need for my brain and ability and contributions to be the best that they can. Um, I think I mentioned I like to walk every afternoon mm-hmm. and I, I that got lost last year for a while and mm-hmm. it, it really affected my mental capacity um, and my patience and I made a vow that I was going to get back to that this fall and I did mm-hmm. and it really it made a huge difference mm-hmm. and I've re- it, it became crystal clear that having that space is critical for me to be mm-hmm. the best that I can be both personally and professionally for all of the people that are dependent upon me. Do you also knit for your own stress reduction? I can knit. I started a scarf for somebody at Jonathan's school who was very, very kind um, during an injury that Jonathan had and really reached out to me and was very helpful and assuaged all of my worries. And I started it in mid-November with the hopes of having it done in a month. And I just finished the first ball of four balls that it's going to take. So now Mm -hmm. my goal is hopefully before they hit March break, I will get it Mm -hmm. done. I have some, I have some flying time ahead of me over the next month and Mm -hmm. I'm a slow knitter. I am not an expert knitter. Um, I actually learned to crochet as a child from um, a woman from Germany who lived across the street from where I grew up. And she taught, um, children in uh, my public school system um, who sort of operated a little bit slower pace than uh, academically than some of us. And she, she was the art teacher for them. So she would do projects with me on a weekend that they might take the entire next week to do. So she would sort of work things out. I was sort of her, her guinea pig, if you will, her test, Mm -hmm. her test market. So I learned Mm -hmm. to crochet. So when I learned to knit, I struggled with it and didn't really like it when she tried to teach me to knit. So I never stayed with it. And then my mother-in-law, when I was dating my husband, um, attempted to teach me to knit. And again, it was like, oh, these two sticks and these stitches don't make sense. Give me a hook. That's so much easier. Mm-hmm. And then when we took over, I actually ter- took beginning knitting. And mm. again, I can knit. I can help customers, but I'm not an expert knitter. My team, especially the retail team, um, can knit circles around me and the majority of my customers can knit circles around me and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of shop owners um, come into owning um, a knitting store because they are great knitters and they think it will be fun and it can be fun until you realize it's a business and there's mm-hmm. 
business things that just being a great knitter isn't necessarily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I am a business person first. I have um, always been that way. I have worked since I was probably 12 years old, starting to babysit. I worked in a crummy fast food restaurant in high school, and I would work the morning shift during the school year on weekends because there was a paid, like a 25 cent pay differential uh-huh. back in the day. In the summer, I would work the closing shift. So, A, I'm I could. getting have, the picture here, and now I understand the 16 hour days. You know, I, you know, I have a really strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I come from a blue collar family, um, and that's, it was necessity. That's what mm-hmm. you did. Um, and my husband's the same way. We're both kind of cut from that same mold, right, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to work smarter, not always harder, but sometimes you do have to work harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really true. And, um, but even when people are learning to knit, you know, you can't make a beautiful lace shawl on your first try. It takes a lot of duds <laughs> to be able to get there. And I've even, I mean, I've been knitting for probably 30 years and I'm still challenged by, you know, following charts and it's all, there's so much to learn. You know, and I tell the new knitters that come into the store, especially ones who are interested or someone I meet somewhere who wants to learn to knit but feels very intimidated by it. And I said, look, you don't have to do, you know, beautiful Fair Isle color work sweaters or, you know, super fine lace, incredible work. I said, if you just do basic, the two basic stitches, knitting and purling, Mm -hmm. I said, that's fine. You can do a whole lot with that. I don't go very far beyond those boundaries myself with my knitting. I can't handle anything more complicated. I have enough enough complexity in my life. Mm-hmm. It's supposed uh, to be relaxing. It's supposed to be yeah. relaxing. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, so I tell them, you know, don't feel like, you know, some of these, you know, garments that we have on display, like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. A, you probably can, but if you choose not to, mm-hmm. that's okay. This is supposed to be fun and relaxing and interesting and community um, and being able to use different parts of your brain and um, shifting to a different gear than what you do, whatever it is you do during, during your day, mm-hmm. um, whether it's an, you know, an at-home you know, work situation, you know, even just running the family full-time or whether it's managing both with an external job. Um, so I really try and encourage folks, and, and not just with knitting, with crafting in general, you don't have to be Picasso. You don't have to do mm-hmm. the most beautiful quilts that are going to, you know, <laughs> known to mankind. Yeah. If it's interesting to you, you can do it in a way and keep it keep it um, uh, managed in a manner that works for your time, your skill, your satisfaction, because you're doing it for you. I love that message. I, I was recently looking at some yarn, um, shawl patterns, uh, which I'm going to bring with me to Grandpa's garage so I can see what you've got there uh, next week. But, the you know, I, I looked at them and I thought, yes, I know how to do this, but I don't want to have to be looking stitch by stitch by stitch. You know, it's just an awful lot of work. And is it gorgeous? Yes. But I want some stock in it in there, too. <laughs> you know, I want a few rows of just flying through. Exactly. And, you know, it's yeah. interesting when I work with customers who are knitting something for somebody else, particularly grandmothers who are knitting or imminent grandmothers who are knitting and it's a daughter-in-law. And they're mm. so concerned about what they're making and the color and the yarn. Mm. And I always stop and say, 
you are knitting something out of love and kindness. Mm-hmm. And they need to be grateful that you are choosing to take the time oh, to do that. I yeah. said, knit, I said, if you, you know, I've had one recently. She's like, well, I really just want to do this in pink, but my daughter-in-law is a very modern woman and she doesn't want, she's not doing a nursery in traditional yeah. colors. And I'm like, if you want pink, knit it in pink. Mm-hmm. Do you find uh, that uh, how people approach the craft is, is sort of like a Rorschach on their personality? I have a friend who's a knitter, also a psychotherapist, and boy, if there's a mistake, she rips it out, whereas I say, oh, I think I can fudge that. Do you, do you see that people bring their own sort of uh, personalities to their projects? Oh, absolutely. We, have, I've seen folks who are perfectionist to a fault mm-hmm. and I mean the littlest thing mm-hmm. they're they're gonna go back and fix that and it's like you really nobody's gonna know nobody's that's there see that. and they're like but I know it's there okay mm-hmm. then that's what you need to do and then yeah. I have other folks who are just like eh, I can get away with this right and I'm like you can absolutely get away <laughs> with it <laughs> the secret's safe with me yeah it is very interesting to see how people come to it just one last question. I've noticed that there's an environmental uh, push now for people to be using dyes that are maybe less toxic um, and, you know, uh, sort of thinking about where am I buying this yarn from? Who's making it? Is it a co-op in South America or is it in uh, other countries? Is that something that you've uh, also had to consider? You know, it's interesting. We especially where we're based in Northampton for our shop. Um, Being green, being environmentally conscious was a thing in our community before it became a thing in most other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And early on when organic yarns came to market, um, a lot of times the, the, the fiber was organic, but then the dyeing was commercial. And that didn't resonate. That didn't that was one plus one did not equal two in that Mm -hmm. scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, the um, natural dyeing is a wonderful process, but it too uses an awful lot of water. Um, So, you know, there have been some success stories there. I think overall for us personally, we have seen uh, folks much more interested in what they're putting into their bodies in terms of it being natural and organic than what they're dressing themselves in. And that's not to say there hasn't been um, definitely pockets where certain products have had a great following. Um, it's just like made in the USA. You know, we get people who ask for made in the USA and we have sourced made in the USA yarns of our own. And we've also purchased them from other suppliers and it's a very expensive proposition and Ah. people want it until they have to pay for it. Ah, And again, ah. I think it goes back to that balance of, you know, are you willing to spend a little bit more, um, for the farm fresh that you're putting into your body yeah. than what you're putting on the external yeah. part of your body. And McDonald's is cheap. Yeah. I see. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. Is there any advice you'd like to leave our listeners with in terms of being a successful businesswoman and, you know, navigating these cultures, you know, the sort of the celebrity, really uh, well-heeled Upper East Side and the Northampton folks who come in with a very different 
you know, sensibility and also juggling, you know, your walking, your self-care, your family. Anything you'd like to share? You know, well, I think I think from a business standpoint, my position is a little bit unique with the two markets that I see, the two markets that I serve, at least from a brick and mortar store perspective. But I think it's, you know, you just have to follow you have to follow your heart and you have to trust your gut instincts. Um, sometimes things don't make sense to me intellectually, but my gut is telling me something. And nine and a half times out of 10, when I follow my gut reaction, I'm usually spot on. Um, I don't always get it right, but the majority of the time I do. Um, and it's just about loving what you do. Um, it's a cliche and I, you know, I hear it a lot in, re, I read about it a lot. I hear about it a lot, but for me personally, it's a very true statement. I do love what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I work with my husband, which was something early on we agreed upon that if it didn't work for us, I would go and find something else to do since this was his family's business. I see. Um, and I've been fortunate that for the most part it's worked. I've quit a couple times, but <laughs> that's okay. But you haven't been fired. I, I have not been fired. <laughs> I have told him a couple times, you should fire me. <laughs> please, please fire me. <laughs> but he's like, no, because I'm not letting you collect unemployment. No. <laughs> so, you know, just follow your heart. And, and, you know, everybody's situation is different. And what I, again, going back to what I was saying about my kids, the flexibility I have versus the woman who, you know, has a mid-management job or mm-hmm. an administrative administrative level job or a, a corporate, you know, very high level job, you know, the the, the flexibility I had um, mm-hmm. is much different. But, um, you know, I think just doing what makes you happy and, um, you know, how we chose to raise our kids and the decisions we made. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who are like, oh, my God, she sent her kids away to boarding school. Now my children mm-hmm. chose. This was a choice. <laughs> and that's a whole other conversation that I won't get into. But, um, you know, it was it was things that we just we've just been supportive of one another and my kids are extremely supportive of what my husband and I do. And they have on more than one occasion expressed to people outside of our family, how hard my husband and I work and the fact that they see that and understand that is, um, really warms my heart, to be honest with you. Mm, Oh, it's so nice when your kids do things that you're hoping they do, because they'll often, of course, do things you think, Oh gosh, that's a bad habit they got from me. So, yeah. yeah, well, as long as they're doing the good things out in the wild, whatever they do in our four walls at this house, that's a different conversation. Um, so, Kathy, tell tell our listeners how to find you and where to go. I also understand there's a retreat coming up. Tell me a little bit about uh, where people can learn more. Sure. Um, to learn any, any and all things about webs, you can visit us online at yarn.com. Um, they, that has all of our information, how to contact us, um, contact customer service, our shop hours. Um, if you want to order online, everything is there. If you're interested in classes or events, um, everything is there on our website. Um, for anyone in the New York area or uh, visiting New York City who's a, a fiber artist, uh, you can visit uh, String at uh, 74th and Lex on the Upper East Side. And okay. their website is stringyarns.com. Okay. Um, and that website will be going under a metamorphosis over the next four to six months. Um, okay. So bear with us during that process. And uh, 
yeah, those are the the easiest ways. We're all over both both companies and including Taki Stacy Charles are all over all of the expected social media platforms. So if you're interested okay. in following us there, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, all the the all regular places. Of them. All of them. Well, thank yes. you so much for talking to us about you know your life in yarn and you know your balancing family and how you make decisions and just where you are in your life right now and 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 the transformation and the evolution that's occurred well nicole thank you so much for having me on i was i was touched when you asked me to be a guest on your show and uh it's been wonderful speaking with you thanks take care Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Marianne Suko, who is a nurse and an author. She's part of the collaboration of All's Authors. And she writes from uh, her own perspective as a nurse about the experience of dementia. And these are fictional books, but they're really beautifully written and have won some uh, lovely prizes. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.